Turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We are progressing in our series through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. This is, as we have been referring it as, um, a extended journal entry from King Solomon. So King Solomon, he is writing here. He is uh, almost giving you an insight into his thought process, into all the things that he, is ex- he has experienced. He has tried to fill himself as he uh, lives his life in search of pleasure, of meaning, of fulfillment, of purpose. And he's giving you an insight. And actually, he's giving you... Um, really, really good um, uh, truths and proverbs, you might say, on what this whole life is all about. And so we're here, we're coming to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Tonight is going to be a shorter lesson in that, and, and by meaning shorter, we're only going to cover the first seven verses of chapter 5. Um, we've been making our way through this chapter by chapter, which is actually an unconventional way of going through Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is most commonly gone through by themes. It's almost like Proverbs, you know, you can pick out themes of verses, and uh, many people do that similarly with Ecclesiastes. Um, but anyways, uh, but and the reason why I'm doing that is because in the first seven verses, there's a very stark difference from the first seven through the rest of the chapter of chapter five. And these first five ver- or first seven verses of chapter five really sort of extend and expand on the conversation that Solomon has just been having in chapter four. Uh, if you remember, uh, we talked about chapter four last time and we noted uh, primarily at the end that this life, uh, in this life, there's one thing, there's uh, one, not one thing, but there's really this thing that makes it worth living and that is living in community, in fellowship, fellowship with other people. And we saw that in verses 9 through 12 of Ecclesiastes 4. I'm going to read those again for you just to kind of jog your memory. Uh, Solomon says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So here, he's giving you illustration and picture, and he's giving you imagery to tell you that uh, what is important and what can, is beneficial in this life is camaraderie, is fellowship, is community. And it leads us naturally into what he goes into next. So look at verse 1 of chapter 5, where he starts off this way. He says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, when you go to church, he's saying, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. So here in verses 1 through 7, Solomon is going to talk about the community of the faith. He's going to talk about church. He's going to talk about why church under the sun is important and why it's something that we should engage in and why it's something um, that we are supposed to do. And I think the argument that Solomon is going to make here and the argument that I'm going to try to make to you uh, that in the in the short minutes that we have is that is, is, is this. If you kind of one sort of general broad truth of these verses is this, is that it's, it's better to go to an imperfect church than no church at all. It's better to go to an imperfect church than no church at all. And by uh, and when I ask that, I want you to ask yourself a couple questions, uh, just as sort of we get engaged in this conversation. And that is this: 
you don't have to answer these out loud. I don't want you to answer these out loud. Um, but think in your own mind and in your own heart, why am I here? Like, why am I at church right now? Like, am I, do I really want to be here or do I want to be playing Fortnite? Am, am I here because, just because my parents brought me here? Or am I here because I want to learn about Jesus Christ, my Savior, and see His glory and learn about the grace that has redeemed me? Think about it honestly. Don't give me, don't, don't answer unrighteously or don't answer lying to yourself. Why are you here? Are you here just to be with your friends? Are you here because you want to be here? You want to learn. You want to know more about this God that we've been talking about that comes to dwell with us on this place that we've been calling once Eden, this, this world that is now fallen, this world that is now racked with sin. I have to be honest with you. I try and be honest with you every time I'm teaching you guys, and I want to be honest with you again, that I have to ask myself these same questions. Like, just because I'm a pastor does not mean I'm immune or does not mean I'm not aware of the, the things, the, the problems that are in the church. Actually, I would say I've been around the church for a long time. I'm a pastor's kid, and actually I'm a double pastor's kid. And by that I mean my grandfather was pastors and my dad is a pastor. So I like to say I grew up in Sunday school. <laughs> I got Sunday school in my DNA. Like it's just not a question of what I'm doing on Sunday mornings. It's just like Sunday's church. That's just part of who I am as a person. I grew up in church. My closest friends were always my church friends. I've been around the church for a long time. Now I can tell you one thing is that uh, you, this might surprise you, but the church, this, not, I'm not talking about this church necessarily. I'm just saying church in general. It can sometimes be a hurtful place. Sometimes people can go through a lot of difficulty, a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, a lot of hardship, a lot of adversity because they are in the church. Because they are a part of this community of faith. And that's because you have to remember that this church is full of sinners. It's not immune to the folly of the world, to the foolishness of the world, to a lot of the problems of the world. And I actually, actually say that sometimes, sometimes the church can be messy. Just, it, it, you don't have to think about this, but I think about this because I'm a pastor. And some of the recent scandals that have racked South Florida churches especially... You think about what has happened in them. You think about other churches at large that are racked with problems. Church can sometimes be messy. Sometimes church can be mean. Again, it's full of sinners. So we might should expect that. <laughs> and I don't mean to give you this really low view of church, but in one way I kind of do because I want you to uh, grasp this something, and, uh, and we'll get there in a second, but... If you're in church long enough, I'll just tell you this, if you're in church long enough, you might sometimes be hurt by the church. And that's not to scare you, it's just to be blatantly honest with you. That this churches, you know all the churches that you might see on social media and TV that are all flashy and fog lights and awesome concerts, they got problems too. They got people complaining about the carpets too. Or maybe the tile, because they don't have carpet, I don't know. They, they got people in their church that are complaining too. Sometimes I think uh, uh, that we have this super grandiose, perfect, perfected idea of what the church should be. And that warps our view of, of, of church when we come to church. 
when we come here and we see uh, things that we wish were not this way. But I'll tell you, if you're in church long enough, you're going to get hurt by it. And that's because this church of God, this house of God that's living, that's existing, that's ministering, that's in this world that we have called once Eden... It's a fallen Eden. It's, a, it's an Eden that God created that now has been racked and ruined with sin. It's full of sinners. And this reality can really kind of make us question um, the purpose of church, the legitimacy of church, right? Like, if this church is, if churches are, are so um, sometimes hard and problematic, what's the point? A lot of people are, are calling for an end of institutionalized church. They're saying, uh, there's so many problems with them, so what's the point of it anyways? A lot of uh, people and a lot of liberal media and, and scholastic um, 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 sides and, 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 and view, with those kind of viewpoints are going to be trying to uh, argue for the, the, the deconstruction of institutionalized church. So you might be asking yourself too, what's the point of getting involved and in investing myself in a place that is hard? In a church community that's sometimes broken. Like, why would I want to invest in something that might hurt me? Well, I'll be honest with you, that these are legitimate questions, but I think they, those questions reveal sort of our misconceptions and our false sort of uh, beliefs uh, about church and how we come to church. And I think Solomon addresses them right here. Look at what he says again in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 3. He says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, to the church, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words." I think the first thing that we see here uh, in these remarks of Solomon on the Christian community, uh, the first truth we see here is a truth about attendance. And I say that because uh, he's not approaching the matter of church attendance as a matter of if. He says, when. When thou goest to church. He's automatically assuming that the community of faith as believers in Jesus is something that's a matter of when. It's not a question of if, if I feel like it, if I'm uh, feeling up that day, if I have had my coffee and I'm in order, I'm in line. We come to church because we want to come to church. You see, I think what Solomon is going to argue for here is that this body, this community of, of believers in Jesus is sort of the exception to the rule of vanity. You know, all throughout the first couple chapters of this book so far, we've been looking at things that, are, that Solomon, right, he, he says, hey, this is what it is and this is vanity, this is worthless, this is futile, so you don't have to worry about trying to pursue it. This is the one thing that he says is not vain. So why does he say that? Well, that's because I think uh, uh, community itself sort of retools, it sort of kind of reorganizes us, and it sort of makes some of these vain activities into sort of eternal engagements. And by that I mean that when you're around other people, you better get used to that. 
<laughs> you know why? Because community, that fellowship, kind of like we're doing right here, is one of the things that's going to be carried over into the new Eden. Like, I, I'm trying to think, but I can probably say, I don't know if they're going to have Snapchat in the new Eden. Like, I don't know if that's going to be a thing. Maybe. I don't know. But I, I, I don't think that there's going to be. Because we won't have to hide behind a facade. You won't have to hide anonymously behind a social media account because you're going to be perfectly known and perfectly loved by a God who's right there living with you. Like, when you are with Jesus, you won't have to be ashamed anymore. So we won't have to hide behind anything. And so community, I think, is one of the, one of the things that kind of gets us ready for that. Fellowshipping with other people when sometimes even when it's awkward kind of gets us ready and kind of shows us a small glimmer, a small sort of taste of eternity. And, and the grace that we share in church gives us the same thing. But the fallacies of church attendance arise as we fail to realize what the church is for. A lot of people today don't know what this church is for. Either it's just about encouraging fellow Christians or it's all about bringing lost people into the church. Either side of that spectrum, if you, if you fall too hard on it, is wrong. So either you're all about entertaining and drawing people into the church or you're not worried at all about the people that are around you and you're just worried about these people. It's sort of like a balance of both. Or you're all about this thing or not about this thing. I'll tell you what. This is kind of my belief of what the church is for. What I, what, this is my, when I, whenever I get up to speak here or in the main service or all the things that I'm doing, I try and put them through this grid. And the grid is this, that the church is a place for sinners to be shown their need of a savior. And guess what? That's all of us. We're all sinners. So whether we feel like we need a savior and we're banking on ourselves. the church is here to remind you that you need a Savior, or whether you've never been shown your need for Jesus, the church is here to show you you need Him. Either way, the church is for sinners because sinners are all that there are. That's all that there is. So when you put it through that grid, that kind of forms how you're going to approach uh, these people or this lesson or whatever you're doing, any church activity, it should be brought through the grid of uh, how does this show uh, people their need of a Savior or how can I influence these people with the love that Jesus has shown me? And Solomon's advice here is to come to church sort of knowing who you are. So, uh, so look at verse 2. He says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let thy nine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Do you see that? I love that phrase here. It's so simplistic, but it's so important. He says, God is in heaven, and you're on the earth. <laughs> Has there been a more sort of like, duh statement in the Bible. God's in heaven and you're on the earth. And I think what Solomon is really doing is something that we forget a lot and I forget a lot is, is this. God is God and you are not. Sometimes I, I can say this myself. I try and take control of my life. And I try and pretend like I'm God. I try and pretend that I don't need God's influence. That I am God. 
I try and control the situation. I try and make this happen. I try and uh, be God upon this other person. I think we do the same thing. That we try and control our lives. And Solomon is really saying that God, when you come to church, God is God. And you are not. So don't come to church thinking that you have it all together because you don't. Don't come to church thinking that you know everything because you don't. See, you know, this has influenced me because, uh, as I said before, I've been in a lot of church services. I've heard a lot of sermons. So it would be easy for me to come to church and be like, oh, you're preaching from 1 Samuel 17. That's about uh, Daniel, uh, uh, or excuse me, that's about David and Goliath. I know that. I don't need to be, I don't need to listen. Whatever. You can't, uh, you can't impress me. I know everything already. Or uh, you're going to preach for me from Daniel 6 about Daniel's and the lion's den? What are you going to teach me? I can, I could do that. Because I've heard those sermons, and but <laughs> realizing that this short thing, that God is in heaven and I'm on the earth, God is God and I am not, that kind of rejiggers and, re- and it kind of reorganizes my mind to uh, have an awe of God. I don't know all the facets of who God is, because I'm not God. I'm not in control. I'm not sovereign. God is everything big and strong and mighty and infinite and immortal. He doesn't change. He's outside of time. He's already paid for your sins that you haven't even committed yet. This is God. We are bound by time. Mankind is everything that's weak and small and finite and mortal. He's enslaved by time. We don't even know what's going to happen in the next minute, let alone the next hour, let alone the next year. And yet we think that we can be God. We think that we can control our lives. God is in heaven and we are on the earth. God is God and we are not. And Solomon is reminding us here, when you come to church... Come to church unimpressively. Come to church expecting to be awed by the God of the universe who has redeemed you, who has saved you. Because, guess what? It's utterly impossible for you to impress God with how spiritual you are or how religious you are. If you think about that, that changes why you do religious things. Because it's not about impressing God. You know why you do religious things? Because you want to encourage your brother and sister in Jesus. You do religious things for the community of faith. You're not doing them to impress God. You're doing them for everyone else that's around you. You're doing them to magnify the love that's in you. And that magnifies God too at the same time. So coming to church to impress God ruins what this fellowship is for. Because I love how one writer put it. He he, he sort of called the church the quote-unquote the league of the guilty. (laughs) That's what we are. Yes, Jesus has paid for our sins in full. But we are are, uh, still sinners till the day we die and Jesus comes back and gives us that glorious resurrection body. So until then, we come to church guilty of sin to be reminded of the Savior that paid for that sin. That's why we're here. As we, uh, as we fellowship, as we commune with other people who are hurting in the church, 
We're made to, I think, again, experience a little taste of eternity. We're experiencing a, a small uh, example of what it's going to be like in the new Eden. So we come to church unimpressively, expecting and anticipating to renew our sense of awe at the gospel of Jesus Christ. We come to church, as it says in verse 1, ready to hear. And in verse 2, we come to church slow to speak because we don't know everything. And we come to church, number 3, quick to forgive because we know that we are sinners just like everyone else in here. So that's a truth about attendance. We come to church in those manners. But look quickly. Secondly, uh, a truth about activity. Look at verse 4. Well, let's read verse 1 through 3 again. For, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice, and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. So he's talking about a lot of things here. But really, this is he's talking here, I think, about the truth about church activity as a whole. And I really, I think what he's saying here is this, is that church activity, Christian activity is serious business. So, yes, I, I'm not saying it's serious in the sense that we can't laugh and have fun. But I'm serious, it's serious in the sense that even when we are laughing and having fun, we have people's souls on the line. So, I was to get you into my mindset, whenever I'm getting up to teach anywhere, uh, have you ever, have you ever, um, do you know what the Burj Khalifa is? How many know what the Burj Khalifa is? Everyone, is not, the Burj Khalifa is the tallest building in the world. Okay, it's in India. It's in Dubai, I think. So remember that building in Mission Impossible 4 that Tom Cruise like circles around and he like jumps up? How many have seen Mission Impossible 4? Okay. And you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's really fun. Um, directed by Brad Bird. One of the, it was awesome. One of the best Mission Possibles. Anyways, so Mission Possible 4, uh, Burj Khalifa. So Burj Khalifa is super, super tall. I forget how tall it is. I should have looked that up. But anyways, it's the tallest building in the world. And <laughs> there's this awesome picture I found one time. I should have. I don't know why I didn't bring it. Anyways, I should have brought it. <laughs> this guy, he's at the top of this building. And he's cleaning the windows. And you can see miles and miles and miles out just at the top of this building. And he's hanging by like one of those like cords attached to the top of this building. And he's, he's cleaning the windows. And I think about that guy has a dangerous job. I would not want to be that guy. Because at the top of that building, it's so high it moves. It sways because of how tall it is. Because it's so high in the atmosphere. It, it, like, it moves with the wind and stuff. It's, it's crazy. Um, anyways... That guy has a really dangerous job. But I would also say, and I'm, don't, I'm not meaning to like prop myself up by this, but Pastor Jay, he has a really dangerous job when he gets up and preaches. 
You know why? Because he has people's souls listening to him. He has people's souls almost in the palm of his hand. People who are listening to him that don't know Jesus are there and they're hearing his words. So as he says that, he's literally, he's literally um, directing people's destinies. And I say that because of this. That's why it's serious. That even as we laugh and we have fun and we engage and we, and we have an awesome time at church, the church is for sinners to see their need of a savior. Christian activity is serious business. That's why Solomon says here, if you're going to vow a vow before God, you better fulfill that vow. Solomon's remarks here, I think, continue to call out people who are just trying to impress God. He's almost calling out those people who are just like making a vow to be like, look at all these things that I'm doing. Look at all these things that I'm uh, promising to God. Look at all these vows that I'm making. And he's saying, if you don't live up to those things, then what are you doing? I think he's reminding us to kind of be careful what we promise to do in church. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but um, if you've ever made a decision in church, you know, going up the altar and praying or whatever, I don't know about you, but I felt guilty at times because I haven't followed up with that decision. Like, I promise... God, I promise this time is going to be it. I have my devotions every day. And I get like three days into it, and then I, I fall and I stumble. Or, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hands again, but how many of you have ever made a decision for Jesus at a camp? And you don't follow through with that decision. It's tough because you're in this environment where there's all this kind of spiritual things happening, and it, it's, you feel moved by the Spirit. And we don't live up to that vow because we're weak and we don't often rely on Jesus. We often rely on ourselves. But what Solomon is saying here, hey, if you're going to make this vow to God, fulfill it. That's what he says. He says, um, uh, verse 4, where he says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. Don't delay in paying it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that, that, that which thou hast vowed. Live up to it. Fulfill it. And I think what he's saying here is that, this again, this church is not sort of a club for competing Christians. Oh, I've made this many promises and decisions for God. Oh, well, I've made 50 more than you, so I'm more spiritual. <laughs> have you ever play, I, I don't play a lot of video games, but have you ever played like, a, I guess they call them MMORPGs, multi, you know, like the games where you can level up. I don't even know an example of that because that's how out of touch with video games I am. Maybe third can help me, I don't know. But you know, like a video game where you, it's like almost turn-based turn -based and you can level up. So I'm like, Oh, I'm a level 17 um, spellcaster. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a level 12 knight. I don't know. I don't, obviously, I don't play video games like that. But I think a lot of times, sometimes, people in the church can approach Christian activity this way. Right? I'm doing more things for God. Therefore, I'm a level 17 Christian saint. Oh, well, I'm just a level 11 Christian grunt because I'm not doing quite as much as you are. Well, I'm more spiritual. Well, man, I got, I got to do more things so I can get more spiritual. 
guess what? What Solomon is saying here, that is not what church is about. It's not about competing Christians trying to make more vows than the other person because they're more spiritual than the other person. That's not what church is for. This is not a club for competing saints where you can level up by doubling down on how many vows you're vowing. (laughs) This is a community for sinners. Because, again, sinners are all that there are. And this is a place not for good people to gather together and become more good. Guess what? This church is a place where bad people who know that they're bad come to hear about the one who was good for them. They come to hear about Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. That's what this place is for. And our attendance must be accompanied with attentiveness. That's what Solomon says, that when we come to church, when we attend church, we have to be attentive. We have to be aware of what's going on. Because that's what will lead to activity. So in verse 7 where he says, For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities. What he's saying here is that a lot of talk in the church that doesn't produce activity is useless. Like, it doesn't matter how much... This convicts me when I say this, okay? When I wrote down these words, I was like, whoa, whoa. I said, fools are those who talk more about the idea of loving their neighbor than actually loving their neighbor. And that convicts me. Because I know the truth about God, that as I'm on this earth, I'm called to love my neighbor, whether that's my neighbor at the grocery store, or my neighbor that's my next door neighbor, or my friends, or whoever it is. That's my calling. I'm called to love your neighbor, and you are too. But all this talk about loving your neighbor and the the idea and the theory of that is no good unless we are actually doing it. And that's why he says, for in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are diverse vanities. That's a vain thing. It's kind of useless. You're just talking about dreams and fairy tales and ideas. It's useless if there's no activity. So, so what he's saying is, follow up your church attendance with faithful activity. And you know what that stems from? An awe of God. It goes back to, uh, again, that verse uh, 2 where he says, God is in heaven and you're on the earth. And that's why he says in verse 7, but fear thou God. And that's the end of the, chap- of the book too, remember? In Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 he says, this is the conclusion of the whole thing. Fear God and keep his commandments. A right awe of God, fear of God, of who God is. This omnipotent God who came down and saved us and rescued us out of sin is where uh, our faithful activity for the church stems from. So really clearly, really quickly, I think we can clearly see that church under the sun, church here in this earth called once Eden, isn't a useless thing. It isn't a vain thing. It isn't a futile thing. Because this church is the one place where we go to sort of realign our hearts back to eternity. Right? That's what we've been calling this series. Eternity versus vanity. Things that are really, truly weighty and important versus things that aren't. Things that will satisfy, that will secure you, and things that won't. Church is one of those things. 
church fellowship community of faith is a thing that is eternal. That's why we are called in Ephesians 5, the bride of Christ. That's what the church is. That's why it reminds us of the love that Jesus has for us. Church is the place that reminds us that God hasn't abandoned us. You know how wonderful that truth is? That God who created us hasn't left us for where we are. And the fact that He is still here with us. And the church is the place where we go, where we can sort of quiet our minds in sort of the, the stillness of Jesus' death. That's what we're here to be reminded of. That Jesus died for us. Jesus took our place. Church is not futile. It's not vain. It's not a vanity that, that Solomon mentions with all the other things. That yes, you might be broken by the church, but... The broken people who gather together are bonded by the grace of God. We are held together by grace. And grace meets broken people where they are. Don't forsake church attendance. And don't neglect church activity. Because guess what? Those are some of the things that truly matter. That have weight in this world. Let's pray.